Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of the Said Talks podcast. I am your host, Mr. Cedric Hawkins. And this is my first time ever doing a recording of this magnitude on Podbean. I did a few Instagram live trials last month and just... Getting the chance to do those went extremely well, and so I figured I should create a podcast and just post my content on this page because I really want this page to be able for people to take a listen to and just get new different life perspectives and just know that nobody's not alone in their struggles and that anybody can overcome and persevere whatever God places in front of us. And you never know, maybe when COVID decides to go away, I can make a YouTube channel and do face-to-face interviews, but for now, I'm going to do it at this setting. I'm going to keep doing these phone calls and just upload it like that. And I hope that when you listen to this, you can get some knowledge and maybe learn a few things from myself and my guests here today. And speaking of my guests, he's one of my cousins and he's one of the most influential people that I know today. This man overcame so many obstacles and challenges that were thrown at him at an early age. And he's loving to tell his story today. Whether it was feelings of anger or feelings of self-doubt, this guy rose above all of that to get to where he is now. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give to you Mr. Edwin Stewart. Edwin, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Staying alive, bro. Staying alive. That's good. That's Yeah, so we last talked last month, and in that time period, how have you been doing? And a lot has been going on. It's been crazy with school and all other persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what day does your semester end? My semester ends actually next week. So I think it's not Sunday of next week is when my final assignments are due. So, yeah, that's when I'll be speaking. Yeah, that's what's up. That's what's up. Mine is done with tomorrow that's my last day i got like two more finals to do and then after that i'll be done with csm forever i'm proud of you for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you man thank you man so let's go ahead and get into the questions so i know you and i we grew up when we was younger but i kind of want to get how it was like from your perspective as a child so growing up what was that like for you crazy because growing up separate from my mom and dad so I'm going to tell you like this they had broke up like three or four years ago and I would spend a lot of time living with my mom and only the weekend go to see my dad so I guess that was kind of hard on me because really I just wanted to spend more time with him 
I mean, don't get me wrong, I love both my parents with all my heart, but I just want to them, I guess, in my own selfish way, to stay together. I get to spend time with both of them every single minute of every single day. But I know life happens and people grow apart. So I definitely be mad at that. But as far as the rest of my life, uh, growing up in George's County, growing up in Walmart, in Chesapeake Beach, I just enjoyed the friendship that I made. I enjoyed the education that I received, and I'm blessed at the opportunity at that. Absolutely. So, going back to like when you were a child and your parents were separated, was there kind of a sense of frustration at times that your parents weren't together, and then you saw maybe some of your peers with their parents together? Yeah, that was mainly hard on me. Even as a child, I would ask my mom or I'd ask my dad all the time, like, what was the reason why you broke up? Was it me? Did I do something wrong? I would constantly blame myself for the reason. They kept, they both kept telling me that I wasn't the reason, but at the same time, neither one of them would kept me the actual reason why they broke up. Like, say, for example, I asked my mom, like, and mom, what happened to me and dad, she'd be like, ask your dad. And if I ask dad, you would be like, ask your mom. So, yes, that thing was really just frustrating. Yeah. Do you feel like you'll ever get those answers as to why they separated? Like, maybe when you get, like, older or maybe when you have your own wife? Even to this day, I still don't know the answer, but it's come to a point where I've somewhat come to terms with it and... I'm not just going to keep asking repeatedly. I'm just going to move on with my family. If they feel the need to tell me what happened in the end, then I'll be willing to listen. Absolutely. That's good, man. So um, did you have a stepmother or a stepfather growing up? Well, I know you had a stepfather, but did you have a stepmother? Yeah, so my dad's first girlfriend, I can pick her first to be like, my stepmother, because even though that they're not married, they're just dating, I consider her a stepmother because all she's done, she's helped me with homework, she's helped me with classwork, she helped me with job opportunities. She's helped just be that motivator in my life, just like my regular parents, just continuing to be there for me, whether I was going through good times or bad times. So I consider her my stepmother. Right. That's good. It's always nice to have a second kind of motherly figure, motherly role model, especially with Mother's Day coming up. Yeah. Yeah, so um, describe the relationship that you had with your stepfather, Clinton, because I remember, you know, from the outside looking in, seeing how close you guys were, but kind of talk about it from your perspective. Well, once again, I talked about Clinton. I tell you, whenever I came home, and I was going through some school, whether it was with, I was suspended from school to fight me, whether it was for something good in the school. Like, he continued to be that strong influence in my ear, just like my dad, just constantly telling me that there's so much good you can do in this life. I know you can achieve so much. I know you are capable of but just believing you to your fullest capabilities. And I don't want to see you go down the wrong path. But you constantly keep me on the street and there for the ugly way. Math homework is 
he helped me with just life, just how to be a man, just growing up, teaching me different lessons, and those are lessons I carry with me to this day, even though he's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that he passed away when you were in middle school, and um, if you would, do you have any memories from that day of how you felt? Uh, I'm going to start off by saying the main thing that I do regret about that day, I didn't get to see him at all. So my last memory of him the night before when me and him were downstairs playing pool but the day it actually happened, it was Labor Day of 2010. And I remember my mom had told me that Clinton had went out to go get gas for the lawnmower because he was going to cut the gas when he got back home. So I was just wondering where he was at. So two hours had went by. We haven't heard from him. So we're like, he probably said, well, he did something. Another two hours went by, me and mom started to get worried. So, like, we're, like, calling his other, we're calling his cousin, trying to get in contact. A couple more hours go by, we still haven't seen him. And then one more hour goes by, and my mom sends me over to my Aunt Violet's house. She's my neighbor, so I went over to her house for a couple hours. And when I came back home... It was like my driveway in my backyard was full of cars. And I didn't know what was going on at all. So as soon as I came in the house, everybody's coming up to me asking me if I'm okay. Everything's going to be all right. God's going to be with you. I'm honestly just wondering what's going on because I don't know. Everybody's just bad. And then they send me into the mom's room. I could see my mom just like broken down, crying. And then I remember walking up to her and I was like, Mom, what's wrong? You can tell me. And she basically said that, you know, Clinton had, that he was in a bad accident. He was in a car accident. And that's all she, that's all she would tell me. That's all she could get out before she started breaking down again. And at the time, I didn't want to break down in front of her because that would make her worse and that would make everyone else that was in the house worse. So I tend to hold my emotions back and just be strong for her, strong for the rest of my family because I feel like the men of the house now, I got to bury that one of my shoulders. I got to attach that to my back. Right. And so um, how did that make you feel kind of like not kind of like breaking down in front of your family. Do you think that kind of affected you mentally? Like, did it wear you down in any ways, putting up that strong front? In a lot of ways, it was bad because I was having a lot of nightmares. I was, me and mom went to therapy. It was just like a huge part of my life had just been taken out. And for me not to break down in that moment and just have all of that bonding, that's not healthy. So I just personally felt like I should have maybe broke down to a relief from that pressure, get some of that relief off my shoulder. But 
it's just hard. And then, even when I found out what actually happened, still, it it is Absolutely. So, um, kind of talk about how, like, when you actually found out what happened, because I know that story, but kind of talk about that day and when you found out what happened and how you felt. Yeah, so, basically, I was over, I was over here in a conversation between my grandmother and my mother, and she, I heard my grandmother basically say, it's sad what happened, it's what happened and it's a scene that he killed himself. And then I, I was just around the corner. I didn't go in there. I was just listening. I was like, killed himself. What is, what is he talking about? He was in the car yesterday. And then she said it again. I'm like, okay, something's not right here. So a couple months, a couple months later, I had talked to my mom. I finally had the courage to go up to her, and I was like, "What actually? What actually happened? Like, what was going on?" And she basically told me that he was going through depression, and he was going through all these psychological issues, and that wasn't his first accident. His first accident was the week before the accident that killed him. So the first accident, he tried to kill himself, and he didn't succeed. He came home. He had a lot. He had a lot of blood on his clothes, and I've never seen him like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was just a bad accident at the time. So when the second accident happened, and they're just saying, "Oh, it's a," I'm like, "Okay, that's all it is." But coming to find out. He killed himself. He was actually he was actually drinking and driving purposefully, and he had so much. My mom told me he had so much going through his head at the time that he had ran himself into a tree and the entire car on fire. Mm. So even you know that's hard because it was a closed casket. I didn't even get to see his body like. All the ashes were just right there. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry that you had to deal with that and go through that. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So, um, when you finally got the news that he had killed himself, he had committed suicide, were you mad at all at him because of what he did and not saying goodbye to you or your mom or anyway? start off by saying that a lot of people in our community don't take it serious. You know this, and I know this, people don't take depression seriously enough. It is a serious thing going on within our community, and it needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as far as, as, far as Clinton, it was just, I'm not going to say I hate him because he what he did, because I could never hate that man after of the stuff he's done for me. I can never hate him. But I have come to a point where I somewhat come to terms with it. Like, I'm, the only thing I would probably say um upset with and that I regret is that he didn't go and ask for help and he didn't communicate with us or talk to us at all before he did what he did. Affecting not only me, 
but his wife, my mother. Right. So I I think that was the hardest part about all of it, the thing I am upset with him about in but other than that, I can never hate him after all he's done to me. I've come to some of the terms with it. And I know that even now to this day, he's still watching over me. And if he were to see me today after the high school graduations, after the college graduation, after working two jobs at the same time while going through all of this, I'm going through all this at a much older age, much mature age, I know he'd be proud of Absolutely, man. I know he'd be proud of you, too. But I think kind of going back to what you said, I think that's just the stigma that's always been around our community with depression and anxiety, especially from his time period, whenever he was born in the 60s, right? 50s or 60s? Right. Yeah. So, like, as a black man, I'm sure he's never had the opportunity to be able to talk to someone about what he's been going through, because either those services weren't allowed for them to take or there wasn't enough awareness about it so at least in this year we have enough awareness about it to know that it's okay to get help and know that it's okay to not be okay in a way right so you know closing with that before we move on to your school experiences um at what age were you able to find closure with clinton's passing and kind of move on Really, I visited his, at the time, I think I was 18, 19, I'm 21 now. I had one day just, from the anniversary of his death, I went to his grave site by myself. And I was just sitting in there, looking at the talking to it, talking to him. And I told him, I'm going to tell you exactly what I said. What I said to the grave was, I know you probably were going through a lot, and I know growing up, you probably were looked at as weak because you opening up to people is frowned upon, or you talking to people about your personal problems may make you to be out as soft, but you were never soft to me. You always were a role model, always were someone who I appreciated, someone who I admired, somebody who I inspired to be like, I don't blame you for what you did, I don't judge you for what you did, but just know that through your through your experience and through the trauma that you went through emotionally and mentally and physically, I promise you there's faith. Those that need help with depression, those battling anxiety, those battling other major issues within our community, I promise I will always extend the helping hand to them through you. Amen, man. I'm so glad you got that chance to kind of get all those emotions off your chest and was able to kind of connect with his spirit in a way and just say that to him. I'm sure he appreciated it a lot. Yeah, I know he would if he was still here, man. Yeah, you know. God bless you and your mother, and God rest Clinton's soul. I know he's looking down on us right now and just proud of what we've been accomplishing. Me, you, AJ, Josh, Rodina, all of us. Right.
So moving on from that, let's go to towards the end of middle school and going into high school. What was that like for you, and what were your interactions with everyone? Freshman and senior year, my two favorite years. Because freshman year, you're just getting there, you feeling yourself, you feeling cocky, you feeling cocky, you feel like you're ready for this. And then senior year, you're ready to get up out of it, which yeah. I was ready to. Sophomore year, I'm not really going to talk about too much, but I was personally going through a lot mentally, and I took my actions out on some people who I am going to say did not deserve it. Mm-hmm. And junior year was just okay. I was just more so ready to graduate. I was yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I kind of feel like, in a way, sophomores, they kind of get forgotten about. And it's like that year is like no one really, not to say that they don't care about them, but it's just that they're not really in the mix. Because it's like you said, you have the freshmen. They're just coming in. They're they're the new dogs. They're the fresh meat kind of. And then you have the juniors. Once the seniors leave, they're now the seniors. And then you have the seniors. They're the big dogs. They run the school, basically. And it's like, then you have the sophomores, and they kind of get pushed to the side. So I kind of agree with you with that in a way, that sophomore year is kind of a forgettable year. I'm also going to say that even to this day, I'm going to tell you like this, the people who I was friends with and I was friends with in high school, I don't talk to now. And the people who I didn't talk to in high school, I talk to now that I'm outside in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I'm the same way, you know. I keep in touch with you and, you know, some of my other cousins that I hanged out with in high school, but all the friends that I used to have, I don't really kind of talk to them anymore. Yeah. In a way, do you kind of wish that was different, or do you think, as humans, we evolve and that's just bound to happen? I do think... We evolve and it's eventually bound to happen. But as far as speaking on my personal experience, I just, I just felt like the people who I didn't talk to, well, I didn't talk to in high school, and that I got to know outside in the world and got to talk to them personally, I've developed more friendship and more bonds with them than I think with my so called friends. In high school, because really, in high school, besides you and some obviously other family, I don't open myself up that often to people. Like, I'll let, I'll, you talk to me, but I'm not the type to open up people to the stuff that personally gone. So when it comes to the people that I did talk to in high school, I just personally felt like when I was going through something and I was struggling. They didn't have my back, whereas it was the people who I pulled the focus with that I didn't when I school. They were there for me when I was going stuff. They were there for me when I was going through problems emotionally, mentally. And they had my back besides you and obviously other families. Right, absolutely. I think I'm the same way in that essence in that it's kind of hard for me to open up to new people but once I kind of feel them out and know that they're okay then that's when I 
kind of let them in and they can see my personality and see who I am as an individual. Right. So, um, looking back on it, would you go back to high school and kind of relive your senior year and do it all over again? Um, my senior year only had, like, three classes, so I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be there that often, so, I mean, I would say, if I were to go back to high school, if knowing now what I know, if I were to go back, I'd probably talk to the people who I didn't talk to in high school and start forming those bonds then and start cutting off the people who weren't really there for me and turned out to be toxic people in my life because at the end of the day, Everyone needs to surround themselves with people who genuinely have their back. You need to surround yourself with people who tell you what you need to hear versus than what you want to hear. And that's why I personally feel like if I were to go back, that's what I would find in the people who I didn't talk to. Absolutely. You need to be, you know, I agree with that. You have to be around people who have your best interests at heart, and they not only are there for you to tell you when you're wrong, but they also challenge you to be a better a better version of themse- of yourself because they see a lot in you, the potential that you have in you. So I do agree with that. Now, um, your graduation day, kind of describe that day for me. Was it kind of bittersweet to be leaving high school? In the sense where it was like I had, at the time, I had, had so many fun moments, especially in senior year. I had, had so many fun moments, had so many fun experiences with some of the people who I still didn't talk to, to where it was like I didn't want to leave them because I realized after people leave high school, you're rarely in contact with those you went to high school with ever again. So it was kind of bittersweet in that aspect. Other than that, I was ready to get up out of there. I was ready to go to college. And I was just sick of everything. Yeah, I agree. So um, now I know you went to CSM. And what inspired you to go there? Because a lot of people have different reasons as to why they go to a community college first. Well, I'm sorry. I think that... Knowing now what I know, I wish I didn't go to CSM. And you and you know that story because I told you that. But as far as why I chose to go here, it's just I wanted to, how you say, get get my feet wet first before diving in to a four year university. I just wanted to see, like, if I would like it, but at the time. My mom and my family, they were heavily pushing the military on me, especially since my stepdad was in the Army. My mom was in the Army Reserves, and then my dad wanted to go in the military, but because of medical issues, he couldn't go into the military. So they were pushing the military heavy on me, and I'm not going to lie, the Army is something I strongly considered because of my mom, my dad, and in memory of Clinton. But I decided to just, you know, take my own path, go to college, go to community college first, see if I liked it. If I liked it, I was going to continue on 
with my degree, virtual four degree university like I'm doing now. And if I didn't like it at the time, I would have not gone to CSM anymore and just come straight into military life. Yeah, that's good that you were able to kind of do what you wanted to do and kind of stand up to your parents and fight for what you believed in. Did you find that kind of frustrating in a way to have your parents pushing one thing on you when you wanted to do another? In the beginning, I'm going to say it was frustrating only because, like, my when my mind is set on doing something, like, that's all I'm focused on. And to have three, well, at the time, two of them living and then one's up, like, having, having just, like, all, all these ideas and all these different things about you go to the military, uh, you would look nice in the uniform, you could defend our country, do something that I didn't have the to do if I'm talking about my dad. It's just like, I get what you're saying, and I truly appreciate that what you see in me, being my country, but at the same time, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was go to college. Now, don't get me wrong. I wanted to go to the military. I had no problem in defending my country. I support all veterans, all who lost their lives and still living to this day. Because I've had a lot of people in my family that have been in the military. But at the same time, I wanted to do what was for me and at the time that's going to school. Absolutely. Well, um, I am proud of you as a cousin that you were able to do that and form your own pathway. And to see where you are now makes me even more proud of you, regardless. I appreciate that. Now, I know you had a very unique experience at CSM, if you want to call it that way. Kind of describe your experience at CSM. Uh, at, at CSM, I'm the... I'm going to say, like, when I first got there, like, when you go to a community college, you usually see some of the people you went to high school with. Because it's local. They're, like, right there. Right. So, I'm going to say the best part of it was I got to see a lot of familiar faces, and I got to meet some new people who I still to this day have to bond with. I'm going to say that was a good part about it, but as far as everything else, I'm making I probably say I had like one, two, two or three things that I could probably say genuinely supportive of me and genuinely helped me with my college experience at CSM. Everybody else, they didn't really care. Like, say I had a question to ask them, and they would barely give me an answer that they could give me a generic answer, and I'm just like, Okay, what am I supposed to do with that? That's not really helping me with what I have to do. So, at CSM, I probably say, like, besides the friendships and other bonds, it was more so bigger than it was for me there. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, especially with, like, my last semester at CSM. I think that was really when I started to get those professors that would give me very vague answers, and it was just like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, one story, I turned in an exam, and I didn't have a stapler at home, and I was in a hurry. And so I brought in um, a paperclip, and I attached a paperclip to the exam. And I brought it into my psych professor, 
and he looks at it and he goes, what am I supposed to do with this? And I was just like, uh, go through the pages of the exam. And he was just like, no, go get some staples in it from the library. And I was just like, come on now. And that, Exactly, man. So I know that it took a while for you to graduate, but you finally did graduate from CSM last spring. How did that feel for you? Absolutely, man. I'm proud of what you accomplished. And so um, I know in our group, we have the running joke of 2016 Edwin, 2017 Edwin, and how you was just you was just wilding. You was just wilding. And we all were at that age. But do you think that that Edwin would be able to withstand the rigors of college life at a four year university? That'll be for another episode.
So you got to be there physically and mentally. I didn't take it as serious mentally. I did apply myself in a, a the right amount of focus like I should. So 2016 me, take everything serious, was all about fun first, with the needs of others before he put himself, just wanted to do what he wanted to do. Like, hey, you want to party, do all this, do all this other stuff. But I came to a point where I was like, I couldn't sit down with my parents. I was like, I have to take my stuff serious. I have to apply myself. That's the only way somebody else is going to take you serious is if you take yourself seriously. So I put in the work and it didn't be longer than But I got my degree. I'm proud of myself for that. I thank God for that. And if I were to go back in time and talk to the former me, talk to the 2016 me, I just be like, you need to get your act together right now. Like, you are in for a real awakening. You think that this little stuff is going to help you through college? You think this little stuff will help you get to a four-year university? No, you're not going nowhere if you continue down this path. Absolutely, man. I respect your accountability and the fact that you're able to own up to your mistakes and how you've learned from it. Because a lot of people within our community, not just within the black community, but, you know, beyond that, most people at our age, they're not known to own up to their mistakes and their actions that they've done in the past. And so the fact that you can do that makes me respect you even more as a cousin and as a man, basically. Exactly. And that's what I pride myself in just, you have to take accountability for everything you do. Just because you make a mistake, it's not the worst thing in the world. We all make mistakes. None of us in this life are perfect. But the sad thing is you have people out here in this world that actually think that are perfect. And that every little mistake is so big that it's going to affect them for the rest of their life. No. It's not about if someone makes a mistake or not. It's about if you can learn from them. And it's about you can change the way you think. You can change the way you move. That's what you're more successful. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So I know you transferred to a four-year school, but for the people that don't know, which school did you chose? Did you choose, and what inspired you to go there? So at the time, at the time when I graduated from high school, the and after I got graduated from CSM, well, this was really during my senior year. I guess you could say it, even though it's not four years. I was just thinking about, I was either thinking about University of Maryland, East Fishmore, or Carlson University. Those are the only two colleges I had on my mind at the time that I really wanted to go to. Now, the college I ended up deciding to go to Bowie State, but I'm going to get into that in a second. The reason why I was didn't choose Eastern Shore and I didn't choose Towson is because I took a lot of people at Old College. So, and when I first got to CSM, even after my first year, I was, them, I was distracted a lot. And I didn't want to go to there what I went through at CSM because there not only cost more money, but there, if I fail, it's going to be really bad on my 
month and my process is time before I got my job and I started to get the college myself. And I didn't want to do that to them. Right. So when me decide Bowie State, what do I do not couple people there? I don't know as many. So I wanted to get to know new people. I wanted to in my horizon. And I didn't just pick it because it was an HBCU. That's actually even though I do feel like more people should give HBCUs a stand, more people should not just assume, okay, you're going there because you're black. You're going there because you're surrounded by all your people. No. I feel it's to go there because I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to stand my horizons. And I feel like there's a lot of culture, there's a lot of history that people can learn from HBCUs. And plus, on top of that, they have a really good program for my major, which is criminal justice. So they have a lot of facilities, they have a lot of programs, and a lot of more professors and doctors that are more willing to help you out if you have a question. Unlike DSM, they're more elaborate. They help, they help you focus better. They ask you questions to help motivate you. So I just feel like I'm totally thing, and I feel like since my time of first being there, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's good, man. Kind of like describe the transition from a from a two year school of CSM to Bowie. How was the transition like for you? Was it well or was it difficult for you? I'm gonna say the first semester. The first semester I got at Bowie City, which was the fall of 2019. I'm not gonna lie, at first. It was kind of hard because you know, you know me just as well as anybody in our family. You know that I don't open myself up to new people easily. Like, if you talk to me, then I'll engage in a conversation with you. But I'm not just going to open up to you because I've opened myself up to a lot of people before. And all they've done is let me tell. So I didn't want to do that. I guess that's kind of a, it's a pro and the talk about me is I don't open up as well, so it's hard for people to judge me and get their own interpretations of me. But I mainly finish with it. After the first couple, like, classes, after the first couple of days of being there, and me meeting new people, and me learning about their experiences, it caused me to opened up more and it probably create some more relationships that will last a lifetime. And plus, with everything about the school is amazing. From the facilities, their professors, their counselors, everything. That's good, man. That's really good. So I know with coronavirus and everything, it ended up cutting your first year at Bowie short. But in that short amount of time, how do you reflect on your first year at Bowie? Do you have any positive memories about it? I have a lot of positive memories about Bowie, and I probably say about like one or two negatives. But the two negatives would be two professors that I've had. But the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. I've met new friends. I've gotten more mentors people and role models who I look up to in the professors and the counselors and the other people who used to work at Bowie that are there, the alumni, 
I've learned a lot from them. I've learned a lot at the the facilities that they have there. And I've just learned about so many new things that have broadened my horizon. I've learned more about the culture, more about what more we can do to help change the world today. In order to create change, you have to you have to go out and work. You can sit there and want all day. It doesn't mean change will happen. You have to go there and create the change you want to happen. So that's a big thing that they instill in you, and that's a big thing that I appreciate for my time being there. Right, right. I agree with that. And like you said, with like being the change, I remember a quote, and it says be the change that you want to see in the world. Like, you have to create the change and make it happen. It's almost like you, it's like you can't lay on your couch and expect something to change. It's like you have to go out and you have to put in the work to make that change happen. Exactly, because that's why currently now I'm trying to instill that into my nieces and nephews because I'm gonna give you an example. My own, my own nephew, he just graduated. He just graduated from high school last year, and I've been trying. I've been trying. Although I'm trying to still be the cool uncle, I'm still trying to give him like real life advice. Like you can't just sit there and wait for something good to happen to you. You have to go out there. And go do something good in order for that to go back on to you. Like you can't just sit there on your couch, work, and sit there playing the game all day, and sit there just bringing up on our detection people back and forth. You have to go out there and want change for yourself. Careful to make things besides Louis say my mom and dad instilled into me because graduating from. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And my final question, you probably just answered it now, but we probably have listeners now who are going through difficult transitions or difficult changes in their life, whether it's graduating high school and not being able to walk the stage, graduating community college and not being able to walk the stage, or just going through something as, you know, not having a job right now because of this virus. What kind of advice would you give to them? in this season of stillness, basically? I would basically tell them, whoever you believe in, because I know that all people are different. Some people believe in God. Some people believe in different cultures, different other cultures and religions. So I just want to say to all of you, stay strong. There is going to be a brighter day just to come to all of you. You know, when things go back to what we call normal, although things may not all have been what they were before, I promise you, once we get through all of this, we're all going to be stronger than ever, together and united as a community, as not just 
uh, culture of a group of people, not just black people over here, white people over here, but all people together, we're all going to be stronger. Amen, man. I agree with that 100%. Edwin, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for telling your story, retelling it. It takes a strong, dedicated person to do that, and you did that just now, and I tip my hat off to you, bro. I appreciate you, man, for the opportunity, and you know I'm willing to help you and share my story and just continue to be there for you like you've always been there for me. Yep. And once this virus is over with and everything opens back up, rest assured, squad's linking up again. Most definitely. <laughs> well, all right, man. You go ahead and take care, bro. I'm going to let you go. All right. I'll talk to you, man. See you soon. Yeah, see you soon, bro. All right. All right. All right. So that wraps up episode one of the Said Talks podcast. Episode two is going to be coming up very soon. I hope you guys are staying safe and you're staying encouraged and I will see you guys down the road. Thank you.